Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Book of Philippians. If you're not sure where Philippians is, uh, there's a couple ways you can remember it. One way you can remember it is by General Electric Power Company, the books Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. But I prefer a different method. I prefer to go eat popcorn. So you can remember it that way too. Uh, whichever, whichever you like, uh, Philippians is in the New Testament. Uh, about halfway through the New Testament is the book of Philippians. The Christian life is full of struggles, and some of that has nothing to do with the Christian but the life. Uh, uh, life is just full of struggles. Struggles, I think, I have a theory here. Struggles are airborne, because if you're breathing, you're going to struggle. Either you're struggling right now, or you just finished struggling, or you're about to be struggling. But if you're breathing, just hang on a little bit. You'll encounter a struggle before too much longer. Some struggles, though, are particular to the Christian life because they, are, they come from our allegiance to Christ. Uh, our willingness to follow Jesus puts us at odds with an unbelieving world. Jesus told us, remember, that no servant is greater than his master. And he also said that the world will hate you because it hated me. We will face struggles in this thing that's called Christianity. But the beautiful truth of this Christianity is that we struggle together. Paul was facing some struggles. He was imprisoned for his testimony for Christ. And in that church in Philippi, a church that he helped found, he found shoulders to help him carry the burden of the gospel throughout the Roman world. Stand with me as we read the introduction to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in, my, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Pray with me. Father, speak to us through your word this morning. May Paul's prayer for the Philippians be true of us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Paul's letter to the Philippians is perhaps his warmest letter. You can hear in virtually every verse of this epistle the affection, the warmth, the gratitude and joy that Paul has for this church. Their friendship, so sweet, permeates every page. We're fortunate. Sometimes Paul's actions aren't detailed elsewhere, and so we have to look for clues 
within a particular letter to kind of understand the background. We might look at the geography. For example, uh, in Revelation, the book of uh, book of Revelation, there's seven. There's the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia, and each each one of them, there's particular aspects that we know from the geography and the history and other things that kind of help fill in the gaps. With Philippi, we don't have to do as much of that because uh, Luke actually records the founding in Acts chapter 16. Paul uh, uh, was traveling through with Timothy and Silas and later picking up Luke. In fact, this is one of the passages where Luke transfers from them and he, using third-person pronouns, to we, first person, because he joins the story. We read it a little bit earlier, kind of the intro to that. But they're trying to go and preach the gospel in Asia, what we would call Turkey today, and Bithynia. But Jesus is not letting them do that. The Spirit is preventing him from moving into those areas. And, and, and then one night, Paul finds out why. He sees this vision of a man from Macedonia pleading, come help us. And he, he realizes this is, this is why I couldn't go to those other places. Because God wants me to go to this place. He tells the vision and all of the, all of the missionaries traveling with him agree. That's definitely God's call. And so they go. And they go straight to one of the major cities of Macedonia, Philippi. It was named for Philip of Macedon, who uh, uh, overtook the city just a few years after it was founded in the 300s BC. It was a Roman colony. A lot of the inhabitants there were former military that were given property, uh, uh, given a place to live by the Roman government as thanks for their service. And it was in Philippi that we meet a wealthy trader named Lydia. She converted to the faith and provided the house and many of the funds that would help start the church. It was in Philippi that a slave girl who was possessed by a demon that enabled her to tell fortunes and make money for her masters was freed from that demon possession that controlled her life. It was also in Philippi that those same owners didn't like that and had Paul and Silas beaten and thrown in prison. And it was in that prison in Philippi during a midnight praise session that the place was shaken. No, no, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit just moving. I'm talking about literally shaking from an earthquake. The doors fling open, the jailer sees and thinks, oh no, they've escaped. I'm about to die. And as he's ready to put the dagger in himself and die from suicide, he instead finds eternal life through the words of Paul and Silas, him and his entire household. That, all that in one city, and in one chapter, boy, that it, Paul seems to live an exciting life, doesn't he? With that history shared, just from that founding and the things that have happened since then that we'll see as this later prog letter progresses, you expect Paul and the Philippians to have a warm friendship, and they do. But there's more to it than just friendship. This is one, one thing that I like about the version that I read from is that they chose the word partnership. It's the Greek word koinonia. We often translate it as fellowship. In fact, we have a koinonia hall right over there, a fellowship hall. And what do we do in that fellowship hall? We eat. That's right. I'm training them right. But there's more to this word than just eating, more to this word than just sharing experiences, more to this word than a warm friendship, though that's part of it. It's partnership. It's us bearing the burdens together. 
It's us working together for the sake of the gospel. Koinonia is more than just friendliness. It's cooperation in our efforts with a shared purpose in mind. Paul and the Philippians have a partnership that makes the struggles easier to endure. As he is struggling in prison, as they are struggling through persecution, through times of lack, times of difficulty, the partnership that brings them together, that makes them struggle together, makes that struggle easier to bear. In his introduction, Paul expresses gratitude and praise for the Philippian believers. But as he's doing that, he's also showing us how partnership helps us in the midst of struggles. First thing we see, partnership produces joyful gratitude. Look in verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's playing with a word here. Every and all, every time it has that in there, that's the same basic word. He's playing with it. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He's not just saying that every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Though that's part of this. What he's saying is that every thought that I have of you brings me to prayerfully thank God with joy because I get to know all of you. How many people can you say that about? Every time you think of them, they bring joy and gratitude to your hearts. How many people can say that about you? You see, Paul can say that about the Philippians. Now, this isn't a church that has no problems. They have their problems. We'll get into that. But the fellowship, the partnership that they share is so great, you can't help but hear the smile on Paul's face. It's a partnership that has endured the test of time. This isn't a passing thing. It's not something that they do for a little while. Sometimes we can do that. You know someone for for a while, you work with them or or your neighbors with them and and you build a close bond, but then when they move away or they leave for another job or, or they're gone, you just lose touch. You lose contact. That's not what happened with the Philippians and Paul. They kept contact. Uh, time and time again, Paul would visit Philippi. He visited Philippi three, four, five times in, in his life, spending time with them, building the body of Christ while he was there. And time after time, this church stepped up to the plate to help meet the needs that Paul had and the needs of other Christians. When Paul was collecting for the need in Jerusalem, it was other churches that made their pledges first, but it was Philippi. It was in Philippi that they gave immediately as soon as they heard of the need. And then Paul had to go to those other churches and say, look, they've already given. It's time for you to give too. You see, This is the nature of that partnership. It's a partnership that would stand the test of time from day one to today, Paul says. This partnership has been beneficial for everyone involved. And that influence is what brings the joy that so saturates this letter. In fact, I would argue that partnership is the theme of Philippians and joy is its mood. By the way, the joy and the gratitude that come from genuine koinonia make the burden easier to bear for us as well as for them. When we have joy, when we're thankful to God for the companions that are working alongside of us, we know we don't have to bear the burden alone. I saw 
Um, and, and you see it anytime there's a funeral. I saw six men this week carry a casket. I'm pretty sure not one of them could have lifted it by themselves. But all six working together could. You see, the burden doesn't get any lighter. When you're carrying something heavy, it, it doesn't make it lighter. When you're carrying something that's emotionally heavy, it doesn't make it any lighter. But I'll tell you what it does do. Having someone to share the burden with, you carry it together. It doesn't lose any weight. There's just more shoulders to put the weight on. That's what Paul is saying about this partnership. And that's why it brings him joyful gratitude whenever he thinks of the Philippians because their partnership shines through and he sees that he doesn't have to bear the burden alone. This was a guy on a mission. He was trying to take the gospel everywhere he could. And there's a whole lot of people to share Christ with. That's a heavy burden for a missionary to bear. But when you got a church back home, not even back home, a church that you've helped found, that's now returning the favor by sending you help, whether it's Epaphroditus, a man that's sent to help Paul, or whether it's gifts of money or supplies that he needs, whatever it might happen to be, that partnership makes the burden easier to bear. And so as they face burdens, he's showing them, my shoulders can help you carry your burden too. Partnership produces joyful gratitude. It also produces confident expectancy. Verse 6, and I am sure of this. I can take it to the bank. I know, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In light of the way the partnership with the Philippians has stood the test of time, Paul shows confidence that it will continue to stand the test of time. It's an oft-quoted verse with a very powerful meaning. If God starts it, he will complete it. Hey, that sounds pretty good. That should go on a church sign somewhere. Knowing that God has begun the work, we can be confident that he will continue the work until the day of Christ when the work is completed. There's no question about it. That makes the burden of the, the struggle easier to bear, doesn't it? Because the struggle is temporary, but God's work is permanent. Partnership with others who are in it for the long haul reminds us that God is in it for the long haul too. That he is faithful to enable us to endure just a little bit longer. You may have heard it said before, I can't keep doing this. And someone says, can you do it for just another day? Just one more day. Can you do it just one more time? I, I, I can't go any further. Can you just go one more? One more step. One more yard. One more, just give me one more. Just, just give me one more down. Just give me one more chance. Just give me one more time at it. And somehow we find the strength to endure because God has brought us together and we endure together. Partnership produces a confident expectancy. We don't have to question. We know for a fact. And partnership helps us know that better. Third, partnership produces shared grace. Now, partnership doesn't produce the grace. God gives the grace. Partnership makes it shared, though. It is right for me, verse 7, to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul is able to honestly say of the Philippians, you are all partakers with me of grace. 
When we're partners together, we share in a grace that makes our unity stronger and helps us endure our struggles better. Notice the different ways. They, they, they share in imprisonment. You share the grace with me in my imprisonment. That grace of freedom. Doesn't matter that I'm shackled. Doesn't matter that I have to take this Roman soldier with me when I go to the bathroom, when I lay down at night, when I'm sitting at this table writing these letters. We don't know where Paul was imprisoned. Doesn't matter where he is because they're partakers together. Unity doesn't require proximity. Imprisonment for Christ's sake is an honor. It's not a shame. Now, there's some people that are imprisoned because, well, it is to their shame. They did wrong. But then there's this. When you're enduring the suffering for Christ, even when it's something that would normally be shameful, it's not shameful because of Jesus Christ. It becomes honorable. In bad situations where we are mistreated, where we are maligned, where we're abused, when we're locked up or we're locked out, our partnership enables us to bear one another's burdens and experience God's amazing grace together. But even in good things, not only are they partakers with him in grace in his imprisonment, but also in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. As we defend and confirm the gospel, God is at work within us, all of us, to build all of us up into his spotless bride. We share this grace of testimony, this grace that allows us to recognize our faults and our Savior's goodness. We see grace as we share grace with each other and as we proclaim that same grace to others. Partnering together helps us share the grace of God as we face both struggles and successes. Fourth, partnership produces abounding love. Verses 8 and 9. For God is my witness, how I yearn. You can't yearn flippantly. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. In verse 7, Paul says he holds the Philippians in his heart. Verses 8 and 9, he expounds on that. I yearn for you all with the affliction of Christ Jesus. With the affection, excuse me. He's yearning in affliction too. But I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is a love that grows out of partnership. It's like a good marriage. You might love them when you get married to them, but how much does love grow as you partner together? The more you become, you two become one, the more love abounds. The same thing happens in the church. The more we partner together, sharing the gospel, making disciples, our love for one another grows as well. That's exactly what Paul is praying for the Philippian believers. This is also a good place to mention. Have you noticed how Paul is talking about a plural you? He doesn't say just singular you. He's saying you all a lot, all of you. Have you noticed that? Y'all. One of the best things about Southern dialect is that we get the plural you right. You always know if we're talking about you or y'all. There's no confusion. I was about to say the English should take notes from us, but <laughs> that, that sounds a little bit. <laughs> Paul uses the plural you 51 times in this book. He only uses the singular you once. And even that use is to get two women who are arguing to stop arguing and to start partnering together again. You think he's trying to tell us something here? Partnership can't be done alone. Love can't be done alone. Both require us working together. Partnership produces abounding love. Fifth, partnership produces tested 
excellence. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Uh, As we partner together, we make better decisions. This is why we have juries in criminal trials because one person making a decision is prone to make mistakes. But for all 12 people to agree together that this person is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, yeah, some mistakes will still happen, but it's a whole lot harder. When we work together, we sharpen one another. Is iron sharpens iron, the Bible says. So our partnership provides a means of testing things. Now, now when it says approve, it's not like it's not like at the end of a political ad. I'm so and so, and I approve this message. No, this is like you've tested it. You found it to be the best, the su- the most superior of things, the most excellent of things, and so you're willing to say. This has been proven. That's what that word approved means. Partnership, by the way, also encourages excellence. We help each other get better. I think at work, there's this guy that I work with who thinks that everything is a competition, apparently, and he has to be the fastest. And he makes me faster working with him because I see him and I'm like, I can't get, I can't get beat by a 19-year-old kid. My wife and I have very different skills and talents. Put us together and we make a good team. On the job, I just told you, it, it happens in my work. It happens everywhere. There's, there's somebody, there are just some people that when you work with them, you get better. People said of Michael Jordan that if you were on the court on Michael Jordan's team, you played better just because he was on the court. It was just that type of, of, that type of personality that brings other people up along with them. Things get done faster and better when we partner together. Partnership produces excellence that's tried and true. Sixth, partnership produces eternal purity. Again, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Look at the pattern. Paul prays that their love will abound with knowledge and discernment and so that they will test and prove what is most superior and by doing that, they would be pure. Pure for what? Pure for eternity. It's not, it's not just a, okay, you're cleaned up now, but you're going to need a bath later, right? It's not that kind of thing. God is more and more working in us. That's, it's a process that we call sanctification. As we grow in our faith, we're becoming more and more like Christ. We find our own sinfulness cleansed and, and our hearts being purified. More and more and more until the day that Christ returns and he finishes the work and brings us into glory. That sanctification, that that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit throughout our lives happens in partnership. Koinonia is one of the ways that God produces purity in us. Think about that. That means the person that says, I don't need to go to church to be holy is dead wrong. You do need the church. Church needs you too. We need each other. God has ordained that in the body of Christ, we Christians would be built up for his purpose. A partnership helps us grow in purity and bear the fruits in keeping with righteousness that God expects of us. No, that God demands of us. Partnership produces eternal purity. Lastly, partnership produces divine praise. All of this ends, that last line of verse 11, to the glory of and praise of God. 
You see everything that's been going on, the partnership that they have in the gospel and the joy that he shares with them because of that partnership. That partnership that, that has produced in him an expectancy of what he is going to do. Because we know that God is going to finish the work that he starts. That partnership that, that shares the grace among us and, and that produces an abounding love that grows more and more as we continue. That partnership that tests and proves what is excellent and that produces eternal purity in us. It is that partnership that brings glory to God. That is the end. That is what we're striving for. That is what we're driving toward. It's God's glory. And partnership is the way that we achieve God's glory. Everything that God does through us, he does for his glory. And everything that we do ought to have that same purpose. As we partner together, we point the world toward God and call our fellow, fellow men to his praise and adoration. No matter the struggles we find ourselves facing, we can see God's hand working for us and in us for his glory. And often, not just the majority, but in a supermajority of the cases, we find that hand working through partnership together. Yes, God deals with us individually. Yes, having a personal walk with God is vital, but you don't have to be alone. Church, we belong together, struggles and all. So let's partner together for the sake of the gospel and let's struggle together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share our burdens together. We recognize that it's in the partnership of the gospel that you do your work in us. So God, work, bring us together. Help us share with one another for your glory. Help us as we face struggles, maybe, maybe enduring them now. We've just come through some. Maybe we're about to be facing them, and we don't even realize it, no matter because we know we got shoulders around us who will help us carry our burden. Because we know that partnered together through the power of your Holy Spirit in recognition of who your Son is and what he has done and for your praise and glory, we partner together. Lead us in the way you'll have us to go. In Jesus' name, amen.